Welcome back to the Four White Salute Podcast. I am your host, Casey, as always. And uh, wow, Lincoln finally got the icebreaker in yesterday. Uh, I honestly did not think it was going to happen. Uh, woke up yesterday morning here uh, where I'm at about an hour and a half away from Lincoln. It was still raining in the morning. And, uh, of course, there's still snow. It's, it's still trying to melt away. Uh, from what I understand, Lincoln was a muddy mess in the parking lot. There were still people in the infield. I don't know how bad it was in the infield, but uh, I stayed away. I did not go. Um, instead, we, me and a buddy of mine went to the Racers Get Back event at Lehigh Valley Grand Prix for uh, Timmy Buckwaller, which was a, a good time. But uh, back to Lincoln, uh, you know, I give them credit. They pushed back the start time by two hours, and they got the show in. They had 27, 26 cars, I believe. And, uh, you know, it was kind of one lane, not a whole lot of passing. Um, little Freddie pulled off early. Danny Dietrich pulled off early. Uh, but your winner was Tim Wagman. Um Six-year drought for uh, for Tim and Victory Lane. So, uh, you know, he killed the drought. Uh, congrats to him. Second went to Kyle Moody, and third went to Tim Gladfelter. Uh, Kyle Moody uh, actually led the beginning part of the race, and it seemed like another lap or two at the end there, and he might have got he might have got that back uh, from Wagaman. Uh, it's good to see three guys in the top that you don't normally see uh, with with podium finishes. Um, but back to the racers uh, give back event. It was a great thing, uh, awesomely organized. Um, you know, we all, all of us whom showed up, um, pro wise, you had Ron Klein was there, uh, Timmy was there, of course, um, Brett Gilmore, and a bunch of other guys were there. And a pretty cool event. You run three races, and they did do a big race with, um, you know, some of the the better drivers that were there. There was Chinese, uh, a silent auction going on, a Chinese auction, and fifty uh, fifty. A bunch of stuff was donated to Timmy, you know, after his bad wreck last year. But uh, all in all, it was a, it was a good event. Uh, I got to, uh, I won the Georgetown tickets. In the silent auction, so I'll be redeeming those in two weeks at the Short Trek Super Series opener uh, down there in Delaware. Um, the Extreme Dirt Car Series had their championship finale at Modoc yesterday, and going into the event, Kyle Strickler was twenty-five points out um, of the leaders, uh, you know, Smokey Chris Madden. And when it was all said and done, Madden did finish sixth. Strickler did finish fifth, which locked up the point title for Chris Madden. And your winner was big, sexy Brandon Overton, who uh, pulled a move on Ross Bales that was almost identical to what Ross Bales did to Matthew Nance a week ago. And with about four or five to go, Overton got Bales threw one and two on the high side, drove right up on him, right next to him. Uh, wasn't a whole lot of beating and banging and raced. The, they had a clean a clean battle for, for first. And in the end, uh, Big Sexy did take home the win. So uh, hats off to all of our winners this weekend. And, uh, you know, locally, 
looks like we're going to end up, uh, I'm going to Lincoln Saturday and I'm going to Port Royal on Sunday, both afternoon shows. Can't wait to get back out in the environment, uh, see everybody out there and see some, some great racing. Uh, on another note about Lincoln, I wanted to, uh, to touch base on was they, uh, did not have a Conti. They did not have a B main. So they instead did their award presentation for 2020. They did, uh, unfortunately they did not get their, their banquet in due to COVID reasoning. Um, and the mechanic of the year went to Fred Raymer, not Freddie, Fred, big Fred. And he was kind of confused on why he was winning this award as um, you know, any of you who know the Raymers, little Freddie does a lot of the work on the car. And I mean, a lot of work on the car. So Fred, uh, Fred kind of diverted the attention away from him and put it on his, uh, on little Freddie, which was awesome to see. But uh, Fred said, Hey, if you're going to give me the award, I'll take it. So, uh, Big Fred Raymer got Mechanic of the Year for Little Freddy's car, which is pretty cool. And they did give out the uh, the championship award to Little Freddy as well for the 2020 season. Uh, nationally coming up this next weekend, you know, as you know, the uh, World of Outlaws NOS Energy Drink Sprint Cars had a bunch of dates canceled out west. And it was looking like they were going to be off for about a month, if not a little bit more than that. But they did manage to rework their schedule and added some dates back down south. And also some, I believe, in the Midwest and the Indiana area. And coming up on Friday, the uh, Outlaw Sprint Cars will be back at Volusia. And then Saturday, they're going to hop over to the Tampa area and it will be at East Bay Raceway Park for the first time in a considerable amount of years from what I understand. So it'd be good to see uh, them guys back on the track. And the same two nights, the Outlaws Late Models. Uh, Friday night, they're gonna be at Duck River Raceway Park. And then on Saturday, they will have the Tennessee Tip-Off at Smoky Mountain Speedway. So a double shot of Outlaw action for you guys coming up this weekend. Of course, all on Dirt Vision. Uh, yeah, that's about all I have for you guys this week. It's kind of slowed down a little bit, but you can bet your ass it is taking off very, very soon. Modified Country, uh, like I said, Georgetown rolls off in two weeks. And uh, from there, it's kind of going to go full blast, roll into April, and we're going to have something going on every weekend uh, pretty much through the end of October early November uh, so fasten your five-point harness make sure your straps are tightened and uh, hold on tight because uh, it's gonna be a long and fast ride throughout this entire year uh, on that note we are uh, going to get into this week's interview with Dino Alberto. For those of you who know who Dino is, Dino is the head announcer at both Mahoning Valley and Big Diamond Speedway. At Mahoning Valley on Saturdays, he's also taking care of media and PR. And he's also the in-house announcer for Pocono Raceway which we get into a big conversation about that. And he's also the president of the EMPA, the Eastern Motorsports Press Association, which uh, 
again, we get into a great deal about that. It is a vital part of our sport, but I think it um, needs to be made more known across the board uh, on a fan side of things and even, you know, amongst uh, different tracks and, uh, you know, everyone that's there. But uh, before we get into the uh, interview with Dino, just a reminder, please press the like button on your social media posts that you see for the podcast. Share them out. I want to get as many uh, listeners as we can. And on all of your podcast platforms, be sure to give me a five-star review. It is much appreciated and does not go unnoticed. I will catch you guys next week. But for now, enjoy the interview. With us today, we have the general manager uh, and also media and PR for Mahoning Valley Speedway, the announcer at Mahoning Valley Speedway and Big Diamond Speedway. And I did not know this until recently, also Pocono Raceway and also the president of the Eastern Motorsports Press Association, the EMPA, Mr. Dino Alberto. Dino, how are you doing today? Casey, I'm doing good. Uh, Pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, wanted to get some announcers on my schedule and on the show, and I figure why not start with the guy I spend uh, my Friday nights with to the right of me in the booth. And I, I tell you what, uh, I, I can't help thinking, Casey, it was my first year working with you. I think there were times uh, I, I almost drove you crazy, but um, it, it turned out to be a great year. And I think by the end of the year, um, everybody was clicking the way it should be. And uh, I had such a great time down there. So happy that Jake uh, offered me the uh, opportunity to uh, be a part of the team. And um, man, I, I, I didn't, it did not disappoint. The racing was phenomenal at Big Diamond this past year, even though it was a shortened season. Just uh, very exciting one week after the other. Yeah, I'd, I'd say you definitely came in at the right time. Uh, it, I'm still going to say it was our most successful season that I can recall. And uh, I think the powers that be might agree with me on that, too. Even though we missed two and a half months of racing, it still went off uh, unbelievably. I was in awe one Friday night after another. The the amount of people that just continued to uh, be there um, and they stayed there right till the very end. The crowds were still there. Uh, The parking lots were always filled. Um, The pits were always filled every week. And um, I'll never forget opening night when uh, you guys were saying, oh, my God, this could have what could very well have been the biggest crowd you guys have ever seen there and then what do we do uh, comes the uh, the cold cracker weekend and uh i think that just uh, outdid itself you guys outshined yourself on that one there so um just an, an amazing season kudos to everybody there jake and the whole gang uh for the way they were able to conduct it you do a fantastic job at keeping that show moving keeping those guys on track keeping everybody in line and uh, that really says a lot as to i i think the uh, testament of how good the racing is there because it's it, it's not just about the drivers and the way they conduct themselves but uh people need to understand what goes on power with uh, race directing and and things of that nature so it's just uh, a well-oiled machine uh, from top to bottom yeah i mean i i keep telling everybody you know this whole thing started two years ago when jake laid down new clay he laid down 125 loads of the most pristine red clay 
maybe not as red as some other places like down south, but it's red clay and it's so fast. It's so tacky, but you have to have everyone in place the way you need them. And I'm not trying to toot anyone's horn here, whether it be yourself or mine or anyone else. But I think it's just coming to mold very well with the people that are in place. We're attracting the car counts, the notable names, uh, the quality of talent that's showing up. And, of course, the people that pay to get in every week and sit in those grandstands. And you got to count yourself in there as, you know, if you have an announcer at a racetrack that's mind numbing or you just don't want to hear him talk over and over again, they wouldn't come back. And like you said, they were there week one and they were also there towards the end, too. So, you know, you kind of got to give yourself a little credit on that end as well. I appreciate that. And um, I'd be uh, lying if I said I wasn't just a tad nervous uh, spending a full season. I've done a, I've done my share of dirt track announcing over the years. But obviously, as everybody knows, my my background really is in uh, pavement racing. Um, but uh Thanks to you on my being on my uh, left and, uh, you know, the name correcting. And I know we had our troubles there trying to get uh, everybody uh, in line the way it came out of my mouth. But uh, I think uh, by season's end, uh, we all were working uh, pretty well there. And um, it, it's 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 important to have that rapport between, you know, us up there in the tower, the people out in the grandstands and, of course, the drivers. Uh, uh, you know, it's not just as an announcer. It's not just about you. I always was taught that and I always tried to keep that in focus. It's about those people in front of us. It's about those drivers. It's about those teams. It's about uh, the sponsors. And, um, you know, you have to make everybody just feel at home. They, they come there to be uh, entertained. And that's, I think, where my position really comes into play because I, I got to make everybody feel at home uh, and you know you want to make sure uh, everything comes out well and you got to keep things moving there's delays and that's where you know at, at times that happens and you got to be able to uh, uh, keep them uh, keep the focus keep it uh, keep them reeled in at all times so um, thank god the racing is good there I'm glad you hit on the fact that about the clay because um I've been to Diamond enough times over the years covering it uh, through the uh, newspapers and uh, what have you. Um, one of the things I could honestly say is the uh, I could remember dust one, once in a while being an issue there. But boy, Casey, last year, <laughs> I, I'd be lying if I said uh, very rarely had we had an issue, especially towards the end of the night. Uh, so whatever that was that Jake did and putting that uh, particular clay down, he uh, he was spot on. He hit he hit a home run there. Well, yeah, I mean, and I. I still say it was a joke on me because before I was in the tower, I was in the flag stand for a year as the assistant starter. And then I was in turn four the year before that. So, of course, the first year that I'm not on the track working and I'm in the booth, we had this new clay where there's no dust. <laughs> but the, the thing of it was, is what was down there prior wasn't necessarily true clay. It was uh, a material, if you would say that. And. A lot of times, I mean, we would have to put cones out and turn one to keep guys off the bottom during hot laps because it would just wear in so well and you would just have a one lane train going around turn one for the rest of the night. So we try to, you know, keep guys off of the bottom and, and spread them out for hot laps to try and wear in the track consistently. But it would fold over in the turns. You would see it starting to lift up. And it was just it wasn't clay enough that it would hold 
its form. Well, now, as you can see, it's the dust is gone. I mean, yeah, it's a dirt track. You're still going to get it no matter if it's rubbered up, slicked off, heavy, whatever. You're still going to get some type of of dust. But the difference between what would that be? 2018 and 2019 is a complete 180. Yeah, and, and it, it certainly showed uh, from top to bottom in the show. I mean, as the night went on and there was there was multiple grooves one race, one feature after another, after another, and one class after another, after another. I know, you know, things might change from, say, the Modifieds, the Roadrunners, to the uh, 602s, uh, depending on what you happen to have out there. But, man, I'll tell you, they just were able to go side by side. That's uh, another aspect of what makes my job very exciting, and uh, uh, you look forward to that kind of stuff. That's that's what really uh, brings out the, uh, the inner me to uh, – you know, put that product out there and explain to that. Sometimes the racing, you don't need an announcer. Sometimes the racing sells itself, it explains itself. But, uh, you know, when you have that great uh, two by two racing, which Big Diamond certainly uh, had a lot of that all year long, that uh, that makes my job uh, not only exciting, but uh, easy. And I always look forward to that. That's that's what makes my night. Oh, yeah. And 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 the one thing I'll say is this, you know, Every week, I think for the most part, no matter where you go, you're going to see fans on their feet, whether it's they have a personal interest in one driver over another or a dislike for a driver over another. You'll see fans standing on their feet, no matter if the race is good, great or just nah, not that great. But coming from our experiences, and you'll agree to this, when you have the people in the tower and the employees on the edge of their seat or standing on their tippy toes because you really don't know what's about to transpire the last few laps. That's really good racing. I'll tell you what, the, the, the 358 the division, the modified, the class itself this year, this past year, Casey coming down to the wire two, three, if we had what three wide racing at times coming to the checkered flag, um, you know, you're just, you're out of your seat we're all standing up up there i don't know people don't think that you're sitting but that's that's the excitement we're feeling it too and it's not because uh, of a favorite it's just that you're you're all part of it we're so excited because of the outcome that's about to be and nobody knows what it's going to be and uh it, it just keeps you on the edge of your seats and so that excitement that those fans are feeling we're feeling it too and uh you know you're just happy for no matter who wins it's not that there's uh any kind of favoritism or anything like that it just that's what you came there to see you want to see that good racing and uh man oh man it has been there all of 2020 and even though it was a half a season just think about all the different winners and the uh, the competition uh, every week it it's not like you could just say uh, you know this when the season row wears on and sometimes you see that dominant car, uh, you know, it, it kind of, you get used to that, but that was not the case. Um, I think, uh, in every division we had this past year, and I'm pretty sure that's what 2021 is going to offer as well. Yeah. I mean, and well, and this year we're going to have a much bigger field from what I'm gathering, uh, especially in the modified and crates. And, you know, I'm not, telling you someone's better than the next but the amount of wins and championships amongst the contenders that have already committed is ridiculous especially in the modified division and you know to your point we're standing on our feet watching great racing we're concerned with the final product i don't you know when i wear my official shirt and i have my my headset on or my radio on i'm not 
pulling for a different driver over another on a weekly basis. No, I want to see a good feature. I want to see good heat races. And I want to know that when I left there that we put on a good show. The entertainment value was worth the price of admission. That's all that matters. You know, um, you are 100% right on that. And if I was that kind of a person, if I was that kind of announce, uh, an announcer or a media person, then I really shouldn't be in this business at all because it, it's about the uh, not being biased. You, you really cannot do that. I mean, look at how many different drivers are out there. And if you try to just, you know, continually mention one guy over another and not notice these other guys, then uh, listen, those, those fans... There, there's a reason they are so passionate. There's a reason they're called the most passionate fans, I think, in all of sport uh, coming out of short track racing. And uh, it's it's a tough crowd uh, at times, not just that big diamond. I'm just saying short track racing in general. And uh, you, you've got to, uh, you know, be able to uh, spread that love all over the place. And, and that's what's important about the uh, positions that we have. Uh, and um you, you got to be able to continue that on. So uh, it, it's it's an important aspect of uh, what we do. Yeah, it definitely is. And, uh, you know, to touch on on your point also about learning the names and, you know, your first year up there. Well, now this year, we're going to bring in a couple of other new divisions. Uh, 305 Sprint Cars are going to be there. Uh, we're going to have these super late models are going to be there with the ULMS series. And wingless super sportsmen are going to be up there. So now we're going to throw more on your plate and names to learn. Well, just don't don't sway too far away from me. Uh, as, <laughs> as I, uh, folks, I want to tell you, he's quick to let me know uh, that uh, you said this wrong or say that wrong. So I try to correct myself as quickly as possible. And I apologize. But I um, I, I, I do make it a point to, uh, you know, make sure that uh, everybody's name is uh, said correctly here. And uh I will do that. So that's my goal. Uh, it's it's all about uh, it's all about those fans. It's all about those drivers. So um, coming over from the asphalt world to the dirt world, which I follow it, uh, you know, as close as I can over all those years. But uh, now that I'm a part of it, um, it's important to me that I don't make those mistakes. That that's uh, that does not make uh, my job any easier, uh, or it doesn't. I shouldn't even be doing it at that point. So uh, that's what's important to me because this is what I've been doing for a long, long time, and uh, um, I want to strive to continue that goal. Well, and it's not even about correcting. To be honest, it's educating. I mean, yeah. I'm more in the dirt world than I am in asphalt. If I were to come to Mahoning or Pocono and check out some of these guys, I probably wouldn't have a clue what I was looking at or who I'm talking about either. So it's more of an educational thing. And, you know, I'll sit there and throw you tidbits of information, too, if I have something worth value to offer. You know, hey, this guy won this championship last year somewhere else. Like, you know, you throw that out there. That's going to reel the fans back to being like, oh, this guy knows a lot. Like, we're in good hands here. And it's, you know, we're all a team. It's all about an, an educating circumstance. That's all that comes down to. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right about that. And, um, and I do, uh, try to do my best to follow, uh, as much as possible. Uh, and now that I'm, you think about it, I, I'm, I'm more, uh, into this, I think, than a lot of other guys, when you consider the, uh, all the asphalt racers I deal with now, and now all the, uh, 
um, dirt car racers. Uh, I think one of the toughest things for me, because I'll be honest, I, I do watch it. I, I try to follow it as closely as possible are the uh, sprint cars, the four tens and you are seeing that nature. And I do know of these guys, but uh, you know, as far as the, the uh, dirt modified uh, in that uh, I, I've always been trying to stay up on them as much as possible. Um, and uh, it's just the uh, sprinters and uh, things like that, that uh, I, I, we're getting there, and uh, it, it's 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 all good. I could tell you, talking about open wheel with the uh, sprint cars, well, I could see that uh, ARDC is going to be back with us uh, this year, Casey, and that's something I'm really excited about because I did work with ARDC in the past, and um, I, they have such a great history. Uh, it's unfortunate they didn't get on track with us last year because of the uh, shortened season, but uh, uh, I've watched them uh, at uh, Big Diamond. I've uh, announced for them at Big Diamond in the past and other places and uh done pr with them and uh they put on a terrific show and uh i think uh everybody who if you've never seen the midgets at big diamond you're in for a, a real treat because uh they're going to be all over the place there uh i think you uh, you could attest to that oh yeah and they haven't been there since the new clay's been laid down either so i can i remember them when i was in turn four back in 2017 and they haven't been back since so now i want to really see what they do on the new clay, just like the winged four tens. Uh, it's going to be incredible. The amount of speed they're going to be able to carry with that tacky track. It, it's going to be a really uh, exciting night for sure. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you what, Jake, uh, I, I'm pretty sure he outdid himself this year with the way the uh, schedule is laid out. Um, not to mention the regular divisions, but bringing in uh, the midgets, bringing in the uh, ULMS uh, super late models. Oh, my gosh, that's going to be fantastic to have them there. And USAC being a major part of uh, what Big Diamond is all about. USAC obviously is going to have a big presence in the East uh, this year. Um the short track super series. Well, that speaks for itself with Brett and his guys. They, uh, he's been uh, knocking it out of the park, uh, no matter where he goes. So I, I just think uh, it, it's been phenomenal. One of the things that really impressed me last year was the, the payoffs were just, I think uh, as good as it got anywhere uh, in uh, dirt track racing, uh, the modified guys, I, I think uh, should be very proud of, of what they're, you know, taking away from the uh, payoff window at the end of a night because there was some impressive uh, two, three, four thousand dollar races, and it was almost like every other week that we were doing something like that. So uh, I, I think that uh, that's uh, quite uh, something on Jake's part that uh, he can be proud of. It, but these drivers should be uh, just as proud to be able to uh, say they race there, and uh, you know, I think they do a pretty good payday at the end of the night. Yeah, I, if I'm not mistaken, we're one of the best. Um period in northeast you know dirt modified payouts and and i think we pride ourselves on that and that's why we are so adamant about making sure the track is the way it is that's why we invested in and all that new clay and you know making sure we have the right people you know in line on the employee front so yeah it's um it's gonna be a hell of a season i i think it's gonna be knock on wood more successful than last year as long as uh everything goes as planned so uh, just uh, so to switch gears a little bit away from this season, uh, necessarily, did you find it difficult to make the switch from just announcing asphalt to moving into the dirt realm of things? Um, I, I would think at first I did. Um, I was really tiptoeing my 
people really want to know. I was kind of tiptoeing my way through the first week or two. Um, first of all, I was all psyched out. And then uh, the pandemic hits. Now it's one week after another after another that gets delayed. Uh, we finally don't get on track until June. And at this point, you know, you're chomping at the bit. So um, we show up there. Uh, everybody, everybody and their brother wants to come out and see something. Uh, and uh, here I am getting an opportunity to, uh, you know, make myself the uh, new voice of big diamond speedway in front of perhaps the biggest crowd ever. So, uh, uh, obviously I wanted to make sure it was all, uh, good there, but yeah, I, I was a little, um, I, I was a little apprehensive at first to, to make that transition because I have a style and the way I do things. Um, I'm, I'm accustomed to the drivers and the fans. I, I, I know what I can say that, uh, take it to a certain limit. So, um, I had to be, uh, a little cautious at first uh, when I got to uh, Diamond and started doing what I did. But I think uh, as the weeks went on, uh, things began to ease up and people were kind of accustomed to my style. Uh, and uh, I, I think we all kind of just uh, worked out nicely by the time it was all said and done. So I'm not sure about Mahoning, but uh, with announcing at Pocono, is your announcing televised at all? Is that transmitted over over cable or anything like that? It depends on the. That's a whole different ball game up there, and that that really depends um, because uh, it's uh, it's a collaboration between the, uh, the the track public address system uh, MRN, the Motor Racing uh, Network, which carries most of the NASCAR programming throughout the uh, the weekend, and uh, once in a while uh, some television stuff. Depending on again uh, what that is, television is usually its own uh, entity up there, but. Uh, We'll uh, we'll do live all of the ARCA stuff um, and uh, we'll do all of the practicing that goes on up there. And then during the major races, Sunday, the cup race, uh, the trucks, Xfinity races on, on Saturday, um, we are constantly uh, at the ready when there's commercial breaks or in the event that uh, and it has happened that say there's a, a snafu with the entire uh, system with them not working so uh, as they're broadcasting over the PA we are as well when we go on so uh, uh, that is a, a collaboration that we all work in sync we have producers that work with us up there and uh, uh, directors and uh, we're, we're radio contact with everybody and uh, but it's it's really scripted uh, when it get when it comes down to it on uh, things you can and can't say. Doing commercials, they have to be said right from what they give you, and that's the biggest difference when I go from that world into my little short track world uh, of Mahoning Valley of uh, Big Diamond Speedway, and um, that's one of the things I actually like to bring up to uh, Pocono is that, is that short track world because there's a lot of uh, our fans at uh, both facilities and all of short track racing that make up that uh, um, grandstand area. So uh, instead of being, if, if you, if I can be so bold, uh, a canned uh, voice, um, I, I bring that own style uh, when it comes to uh, Pocono to an extent. I Sometimes they have to pull the reins back on me a little bit, but uh, I, I go as far as I can and, um, so there is a little bit of a transition there that takes place, but, uh, I like to bring the short track aspect, uh, to the uh, big track like that. And I think it works well. And I just asked being that now, you know, we on Friday nights have dirt track digest TV there on a weekly basis. And I was just wondering, you know, from your almost like a psychological point of view, is it kind of trippy out a little bit knowing that there's people at home that are purchasing 
you know, are broadcast from the track and you're their only voice. Like, does it kind of trip you out knowing that there's people possibly around the country that are listening to you for three, four hours a night? <laughs> at times, I uh, I have to rem- remind myself that they are there are people at home listening. So now I got to make sure, hey, this is what um, say this the right way. Remember, there's people listening uh, beyond the grandstand. So, yeah, uh, it, it's uh, it's a sometimes it's a delicate balance in order to do that and, and in order to make yourself and the racetrack, uh, you know, look uh, as professional as you hope you are and, and what you know you are. And um, I guess uh, sometimes the difficult thing is when we're doing a live, say, uh, um, pay-per-view broadcast, um, I get I get caught up in the moment. I'm so used to watching things on my own on that racetrack as opposed to watching something on a monitor uh and uh, i gotta once in a while be tapped on the shoulder and said hey here you know we're keeping an eye on this right here so that's the battle that you may be wanting to uh uh focus on uh and so in those in that regard uh, i, I kind of um lose uh the grasp of it right there from time to time but uh, yeah casey i'll tell you uh, you you gotta be uh very um aware of those surroundings that uh you you can't make a mistake one of the things i was taught early on is they don't uh, proofread an announcer <laughs> so they once it's out there it's out there so you got to make sure uh what's coming out of your mouth is uh either the right thing or don't make it too bad of a bad thing yeah it's like the internet once it's out there it's out there for good right right and of course if it's on the internet you know it's true hey that's what abraham lincoln said of course, that's what I was taught, at least. <laughs> right, right. But that, that sometimes you got to know that, uh, hey, when you're when you're doing those broadcasts like that, that, uh, you know, one of the things I, I'll tell you what I, I've noticed uh, and sometimes it works. Um, Rusty, who is one of the uh, videographers there and does a terrific job. Um, he uh, he and I and some other guys, when I've worked with them, they'll follow along with what I'm saying. And I could actually see what he's doing uh, in his viewfinder, and um, it kind of works in sync. So he um, he is somebody that'll watch or listen, I should say, more intently to uh, what I'm uh, announcing and follow that battle. And uh, it, it works out pretty well in that regard. So it's funny you brought that up. So I had asked Mike Mallet about that on uh, episode two. Uh, we were talking about the broadcast that they did down at at Bubba's Raceway Park for the Sunshine Swing. And we were talking about, you know, is the how is the announcer in sync with the camera? Is the camera listening to what the announcer is saying? Is there screens like multiple points of view? And he went in to elaborate and I asked him about how, you know, our setup was on a Friday night. And he said that, you know, Rusty's tapped into you and he's listening to you. So he's going to try and follow what you're doing. Now, on the flip side of that, um, I just had this conversation the other day with someone about flow racing. So when USAC was at Bubba's, I learned by listening to the announcer that he wasn't even in the booth watching the whole view of the track, you know, on a panoramic type view with his eyes. He was in a truck and whether it be limited camera angles or not, I can't imagine, especially at a short track where you can see the whole thing from atop the tower or in the tower or whatever, that it's 
more difficult to be in a truck limited to what one, two, three, maybe four cameras is going to show you. Um, I've actually done work like that uh, uh, in my days at Evergreen when we first started bringing television uh, broadcasts into there, sitting in the van, sitting in the truck, uh, being focused on just the monitor itself. Um, and it's a whole different uh, way of having to do that. I, I could tell you that the, those guys that you, when you when you're watching a NASCAR race, that's that's basically what they are doing. They're, they are, they might be up in that tower. But uh, their eyes are constantly focused on the video, on their on their monitors, uh, not what's really happening on the track. And, you know, uh, another thing that I never have done uh, rarely in my career is have a radio set. I don't have I don't have a radio on. And, uh, you know, you've, you've noticed that with me. And I guess whoever else has worked alongside you there mm-hmm. with the microphone. But uh, um so I don't have uh, somebody saying, hey, turn one. Hey, turn two. Um, I, I got to have my eyes available to be all over the racetrack and to just move back and forth. But, uh, you know, to sit there and, and watch a monitor and know that you're at a live event and know that that's going what's going on in front of you. But you can't your 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 hands are tied. Uh, it's almost going in there blinded. And uh, that that's um, it's it's. It might be easy to do, but sometimes it's hard to do because you're only uh, able to see one thing. So then they'll show you a, a replay of what happened. Yes, you can, you know, pretty much talk your way through all that, but uh, it's not quite the same as watching it live, getting your uh, perspective of it, and giving that explanation as to the best of your knowledge as to what happened because you saw exactly what everybody else saw. Yeah, and I mean, we saw that in October at the Diamond Nationals with Ryan Watt. You know, we have a three-eighths track and, you know, a third three-eighths, whichever you want to measure it at. But we saw that with Ryan Watt in the wingless 360. You can see with your panoramic view, with your peripheral, you can see the whole track. And he left the ballpark and very few people saw it happen because it happened so quick. And that's the one thing that, again, if you're in, like, you know, in a truck situation where you're watching limited monitors with limited cameras there, you have a better chance of missing it completely and not even knowing it happens. It, 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 and actually, the beauty of what we can see without being in that truck is that it's happening instantaneously. And now you're uh, peripheral vision. It, it automatically instinct just kicks in at that point and you know wow this this car is launching there it went uh and uh if you were on the camera with the camera was watching perhaps the leader at that time well they uh they don't pick it up immediately it's a few seconds maybe afterwards so uh you you lose that uh portion of of what uh that type of television broadcasting uh brings or as opposed to being live another thing is when you see these battles you know, this is what how it works for me. Um, you, you, it's just like being a photographer. You, these photographers will know something's happening here. They could watch two cars, three cars going at it, and they're going to stay focused on that. And and nine out of ten times, that'll be the case uh, that I'll try to watch. If I see a leader first and second, you know, they're not. There's not going to be much change going on there in the next lap or two. You could you could feel that. Uh, you 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 got to take that chance to look back a little bit and uh, see where the more cars are kind of grouped together and uh, follow that battle if you will. And, uh, 
that's sometimes, uh, you know, you, you'll luck out and you'll something like that will happen. But uh, when you see a couple of guys like that racing really, really close and they're a little further back, it doesn't hurt to uh, just, you know, take it back a couple of positions and pick up that battle there as well. You, like I said, you got to it, um, it's not just about the leaders. It's about second, third, fifth, 12th and 20th. It's it's the whole deal there. And uh, that's what's uh, that's what's important to not lose focus on when you're doing uh, the job that I have to do from uh, the tower. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I, you know, what, I've kind of adapted that perception when I go to the track on a Saturday or any other day but a Friday and I'm not working and I'm there to spectate and enjoy myself depending on what track I'm at and how many spots their scoring tower shows or their scoreboard shows I will actually take my eyes off of whatever their scoreboard tells me Granby for instance has 10 spots I may not watch the top 10 unless I see something heated is you know brewing but it's the spots that are behind that that isn't being captured by, you know, no one can just look up and be like, oh, well, so-and-so is an 18th. I kind of like to switch my eyes off of the leaders, you know, watching if a guy leads the whole way through and he leads 30 laps, whatever it is, 40 laps. What are you going to go and tell everybody? Yeah, I watched a guy lead every lap. You're not going to be able to say, I watched some great battles back in the 15th spot or the 12th spot. And you're going to miss a lot of that stuff if you don't learn to take your eyes kind of off of focus of one particular person or one particular position and just kind of browse around and see what's going on. You are so right about that. I mean, just picture listening to uh, your track PA announcer and just talking about the first place car. Right. Uh, it could get stale, it can get old, and it can get that way really, really quick. Um, and it, it takes away from those other drivers as well. They have families there. They have fans there. Uh, they have sponsors there. And it's important to them. You know, they, they came there to, uh, you know, cheer on the, their drivers, not just the first place guy. Yeah, kudos. Great job. You know, you, you dominated. You ran well up there all front. But there, there's so much more. You know, if, if he ran that well, but you take him out of take that first place driver out of the equation who is out there, you know, running away with it. And you realize, wow, there's a great second and third place battle. There's a fourth place battle going on out here. And and sure enough, I, I guarantee you, any, no matter what, that's that is the case uh, time and again. So, um, again, it just comes down to being able to balance. Um, one of the only odd things about that is the second the second you take your eyes off of that leader, yeah. what you know, it, as fate would have it, something went wrong, and then we're all looking at each other. What happened? Who's seen it? Did you see that happen? Yeah, he, so now he you cut a tire, he blew up, he got into a lap <laughs> car, and everyone missed it. Yep, you're exactly right. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm jotting notes down as I'm doing things. You know, it, it's I don't just uh, uh, as, as I'm seeing the drivers take the lead or something. It's nice to you need to mark that down. Don't just guess at it. You know. And, um, sure enough, the second I write, put my eyes on, on the paper and I look up and there's the two leaders in the wall. It's like, you gotta be kidding me. What happened? Yeah, so, you're, you're exactly uh, right. Uh, you know, it's almost like you don't want, you got to learn how to write, I guess, and, and <laughs> talk at the same time and be a uh, multifunctional. Um, so, um, it's, it's all part of the game. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, so let's transition off of the dirt a little bit. And, uh, you know, I found it very interesting that you work at Pocono and I don't know how I didn't know that I went up there 
for the July race two years ago. Um, we took Alex Jankowski's modified up there. We got offered at Motorsports a deal to go up there and promote. We went up there and promoted the coal cracker. Uh, my wife and I did. And, you know, we right. brought Alex up and um, actually Tyler Pete was there who now has two crate victories uh, last year at Diamond. He was there as well. And uh, we had a lot of interest. A lot of people were like, oh, my God, what's that kind of race car thing? But it shocks me. that I didn't know that you worked there. So how did that all come about? You know, interesting story here. My announcing career actually started at Pocono Raceway. I always tell the joke, uh, jokingly, that uh, I started at the top and worked my way down because <laughs> – the very first time I, I got to announce a, a race was uh, 1986 at Pocono Raceway. It was during an IndyCar weekend. They actually had uh, a couple of times before that. Um, I'd always I was working in the media center at the time, and um, Bob Plevin was uh, in charge up there. And um, I'd always go up to him and say, hey, you know, hey, if you ever need somebody, if you ever need an announcer, let me know. Uh, Bill Dimmick was the lead announcer. Lou Burnell was up there as well. He he uh, he was the announcer at uh, Mahoning Valley and at uh, Flemington uh, Fair Speedway. And um, they always would say, yeah, you ready? You want to do this? I said, yeah. And I would just take it, you know, with a grain of salt. Um, one time there was a uh, press conference that needed to be done in the media center. And uh, it was uh, actually the. Um, uh, it, it was pretty neat with uh, Kenny Schrader, I believe it was. And um, I got up to do that. And then uh, lo and behold, they kept asking me, do you still want to do this? I said, yeah, sure, I want to do this. But I, again, I just wasn't playing into it. And uh, it was during one of the IndyCar weekends. It was a Saturday. And uh, they said, okay, get up there. You're going to do it right now. And at that point, I'm like, what, 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 what now? Uh, and uh, so I, I, I grab a roster of these uh, um Mazda trucks, I think it was, or Mitsubishi trucks. That's what it was. And uh, I was up with uh, Lou Burnell in the uh, tower. And um, Casey, I'll tell you what, you could, my hand was uh, glued to that microphone. You couldn't even peel it off there. That's how nervous I was because you're hearing your voice for the first time and you're trying to, uh, you know, talk at, of all places, Pocono Raceway, this sprawling two and a half mile monstrosity of a racetrack. And, uh, you know, we, we got through that. And, uh, uh, later that year, um, or the following year, I actually, uh, started doing some, uh, announcing at Evergreen Raceway. And, um, from that point on, the rest was history, but, uh, that was, uh, pretty neat. So again, I, I, I went from the top. I was actually, I, I got to back it up just a little bit. Now that I think about it, we were watching, uh, a couple of friends of mine were watching, uh, one of the cup races about 1983, 84. And I kept listening to these guys up in the tower and I kept saying, you know what, guys, I think I can do that. I think I can do that. And about two years after that, I was up in that tower and I was, uh, I don't know how I connived my way up there, but, uh, I did it. And, uh, that's, uh, I've been doing it ever since. That's pretty crazy. So you've been up there for, well, you're pushing 35 years now. <laughs> I've been at this for quite a while. Uh, um, I actually started working with Bill Dimmick down at Evergreen Raceway when they reopened in 1988. And uh, uh, so I would basically, he'd be doing the modifieds and other things. I would I would do the street stock feature. One night, uh, they actually allowed me, he, he wasn't going to show up. And uh, uh, the, so I got to announce my, for the very first time in my career, I, I got to do, do the entire program. And as we're 
going along. Everything is growing great. Um, the modified features out on the track, everything goes black. There was a, somebody hit a, a utility pole <laughs> up the road and the entire area went, uh, black, not a single car hit somebody. Nobody hit anybody, but it was the most, uh, eerie feeling. And you you know, if you're ever going to remember your first time going solo, that was it. There was an, there was a blackout. Uh, it was at Evergreen Raceway in 1988. And, uh, Keith, uh, the late Keith Cucker, a good friend of mine, uh, he won that thing. Tommy Zaychak was the street stock winner that night and uh, i'll never forget that so um believe it or not then the following week um the owners uh came up to me and i and they said hey are you the guy that was up there last week and i thought oh boy here it comes and uh, they said uh, they offered me the opportunity they said it was you did a pretty good job uh, would you be interested in doing this some more and of course i said yes and uh that pretty much from then on um i started doing that and the following year i also took on writing duties there as well so that's how those two uh uh you know things came together for me that's that's pretty crazy that it, it just kind of snowballs like that. Yeah, I remember you telling me this past year about the the blackout because we had our power go out of diamond, <laughs> and you had uh and you had mentioned that this wasn't your first <laughs> your first rodeo with uh, the power going out. No, and I don't know if it's just me now. So uh, <laughs> hopefully we get those out of the way. But uh, it's uh, you haven't you haven't uh, lived on the edge until you. Uh, you know, put about 20 or so modifieds out on a racetrack and uh, everything go just hit the switch and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty oh. wild. Uh, so in your time at Pocono, I mean, you've you've done the NASCAR stuff, you've done Indy. Uh, what are some of the the top memorable moments, uh, good or bad, that you've gotten to experience in your time up there? Um, way back when, before he was uh, who he was. Um, we were trying to kill some time during a rain delay. And um, this was long before they remodeled Pocono, put all those new grandstands and stuff in. Um, they had uh, just put in that uh, tower in the infield. And uh, they it was during a cup weekend. They said, hey, go find somebody to come up and uh, get interviewed. And then, you know, walk through the pits, just grab somebody through the garage area. And uh, I walk up, tap this guy on the back and uh, bring him up and, here it was actually Rusty Wallace before Rusty Wallace was anything big. And I said, excuse me, you know, would you be, you know, would you, do you have the time to come up? He said, sure, absolutely. So he and I walked up there and uh, did that. Um, not too long. At that time, we used to do uh, driver interviews after qualifying. <laughs> and um, so the guys would go out, they'd run their lap and I'd be down on uh, the start finish line trying to stop these guys so we could talk to them and, you know, ask them how it went. Um, one particular guy came flying uh, off of turn three down pit lane and I'm standing in the middle of pit road, you know, waving him down so I could talk to him and uh, he's not slowing down and he's not slowing down. I'm waving and waving. And obviously, you know, you got a whole grandstand looking at this stuff and he just goes blasting past me because it turns out he had to do an appearance at another track that night. And that just happened to be Dale Earnhardt uh that did that to me so uh that was kind of interesting and he was an intimidator back then too as well um there, there was just so many other ones uh I, I was able to the year after bobby allison had his uh basically his career ending crash um and this is there's a photo of this actually in a uh book uh, that pocono put out but um i was uh, able to uh 
interview both Davey and Bobby Allison on either side of me where they had a press conference because it was the year after his crash. And uh, that was just uh, something very memorable for me uh, to have Bobby there. And then Davey was alongside. And obviously we, we know how years later what happened there. And, but uh, it, there's a lot of different, uh, my God, I can keep going on and on. Um, if you really wanted me to go back from Pocono, spending time in the infield before I got into it. Um, a lot of crazy times there. I think, uh, Casey, and this is funny. Um, I, I, I guess I could say it now, but, um, <laughs> I think I snuck into that racetrack so many times and so many different places that they finally said, you know what? Enough is enough. Give this guy a job. We can't keep him out. We got, might as well get him on our side. So, um, it's, it's from here on out though. It's, it's a great relationship that I have, uh, with the, uh, Mattioli and Igdowskis. They're great people. Um, I, I, I don't know if you realize this, but, uh, they have ties to a big diamond because chase Mattioli at one time was running a modified, uh, a number of years ago at uh, big diamond speedway. Uh, and, um, it didn't pan out so well, but, uh, he was a uh, part of the regular Friday night, uh, crowd down there. So, uh, um, it's always been, I think a really good connection. And they, one of the things I like about Pocono is that they, they understand where their roots are coming from. They will come to Big Diamond. They will go to uh, uh, Mahoning Valley or wherever, and they'll bring the pace car. They'll give tickets away. They reach out to where the core fans are, and they know that. And I think a lot of other tracks around the country, as far as NASCAR goes, sometimes misses the boat on that. But uh, these guys stay true to their roots, and uh, that's something that's, uh, I think, unique about them. They're still a family-owned business. They're not a conglomerate, and uh, you know they're they're great to work with uh, that way we could do the cross promoting with uh, big diamond or mahoning valley or what have you they'll go to grandview and other places as well and uh, that's what's neat about them oh absolutely i i 100 agree i think once you get away from the down south nascar tracks or the corporate the super corporate owned nascar tracks and you get to some of these places like a pocono um, I think you're going to see more of that grassroots type behavior just because it's it's a family oriented, you know, deep rooted build up is what it is. Listen, uh, the very first track that Pocono had uh, back in the late 60s was their three quarter mile track. And so they ran um, sprint cars. They ran super modifieds up there. They ran modifieds. They ran midgets. Uh, Joey Mattioli. um Joe, Joe, the second was, uh, an ARDC midget driver and an SMRC midget driver. Uh, I remember working up there with Chris Economaki, uh, for one of the, uh, SMRC shows, the, uh, dual fold mini indie challenge, they called it. And, um, you know, you're up there with all these awesome midget race car drivers. You're up there with a guy like Chris Economaki and, uh, so that three quarter mile track, that was, uh, the cat's meow. They ran the race of champions up there for how many years? Mm -hmm. Uh, it was a neutral, uh, uh, facility, but big three, big three quarter mile, uh, straightaways were big. The, uh, turns were narrow and it, uh, you saw some of the greats, uh, competing up there, like your Richie Evans of the world, the modified, uh, standouts. And at that time, you got to remember it was still when they were running, both dirt and asphalt. Uh, they, there they are all coming together for that big show. And, uh, I think that really uh, was something. So before that big track was ever built, there was the three quarter mile track. So they, uh, they, uh, certainly have an appreciation for, uh, short track racing and, and what it means to them. Nick Igdowski himself. Uh, I don't know if you realize this, but, um, 
the family uh, has tie-ins and uh, are, are owners of South Boston Speedway uh, in uh, South Boston, Virginia. So they they know what it means to run uh, a business like ours at Diamond, Mahoney's, things like that. Interesting. No, I didn't know that. Hmm. Learn something new every day. How about it? So uh, let's move on for Pocono. And um, I want to touch a lot, a, a good amount of time here on the EMPA stuff. Um, I don't know that a lot of, I'm not going to say drivers, car owners, they are aware of what EMPA is, but I don't know that a lot of fans are. And and this is taking, you know, moving on from your announcing duties at, at multiple racetracks, but this is going in a, direct, a completely different direction and moving into the journalism aspect of things. Uh, can you touch base for, I want to know, first off, your journalism career, did that was that something you aspired to do as, as you know, as you got through high school and you wanted to take that route with, you know, college or trade school or did journalism just kind of fall in your lap and you just found it to be something you enjoyed? Um, you know, I, I think like a lot of us, we all had that aspiration. We all had that uh, uh, deep down burning desire to be a race car driver. That's I think that's always first and foremost that anybody as a kid growing up uh, with the love of the sport, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to race a car. Um, it came to the point where I knew I couldn't do that. And when I started announcing uh, a good friend of mine, um, Stan Lobitz, who just recently passed away, was a, an often visitor with the midgets to a big diamond. Um, what had happened was uh, uh, the writer who was taking care of the media portion at Evergreen Raceway at the time uh, stepped away. Uh, he went on to something else. And uh, Stan Lobitz said, you know what? You got to do this. You need to you need to step in there and not really knowing a whole lot other than uh, just kind of reading and reading and, and trying to find different styles with everybody else. Um, I was took the opportunity. Uh, Paul Weissel uh, took a chance on me. He was one of the co-promoters at the time. And uh, so I would start writing all of the press releases for the race reports, doing the program book. And uh, that's where I really got into that end of the uh, writing part of uh, what I do. And um, it wasn't too long after that, that uh, Ernie Saxton, who at the time was the president and uh, one of the co-founders of the Eastern Motorsport Press Association, which, uh, oddly enough, uh, had one of its very first gatherings at Pocono Raceway in uh, 1969, 70, something like that. Uh, uh, but um, uh, I joined that organization and uh, there's a lot of uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, uh, powerful people, if you will, in there and that I got to know uh, and uh, I just kept learning and learning from them and uh, that's where I basically am here today. And now I could proudly say that I'm the uh, president of this organization. There hasn't been many. Uh, Lenny Sammons has been there. Ron Hedger was the most recent prior to me, uh, myself. And uh, then there was, uh, um, for the longest time, the, the czar uh, was uh, Ernie Saxton. And uh, what it is is a group made up of uh, professional uh, media people, photographers, writers, videographers, uh track uh, PR people. Um, we have associate sponsors uh, through, uh, uh, whether it be a, a major racetrack or a minor racetrack, I, a big diamond for the longest time was uh, involved with us there uh, at our annual convention that we hold. And uh, um, this past year, speaking of uh, 
uh, EMPA. Each year, they have an annual convention. It's been going on for a long time. And uh, we will reward writers and photographers, videographers for their work throughout the year. Um, and so it's kind of a competition that goes on out there. And I think that helps all of us get better and better at what we do in presenting ourselves as per- true professionals to the sport, uh, making these drivers look good. And, and at the same time, showing that short track racing is uh, is a respectable uh, sport, uh, mainstream sport. Um, but we also take a look and uh, give certain awards out to drivers and look at their accomplishments throughout the year. Um, this past year, Alex Jankowski, uh, our own Alex Jankowski was, uh, named as the, um, John Blue at the third young gun award winner. Uh, and, uh, that that's really cool. And Mike Mallett and his gang was, uh, named as the promotional effort of the year. So we're actually going to be heading down to Georgetown to uh, give their, uh, presentations there because these past year, the, uh, pandemic, uh, put the, uh, stops to any kind of convention that we were going to do. So we're going to have to hand out that stuff uh, throughout the year. But, uh, it, it's really, uh, to me, I'm very proud to be a member of that organization and to be able to, uh, have the opportunity to, uh, write for a number of Northeast Pennsylvania papers for Time Sham uh, Rock, which covers Big Diamond, uh, and uh, show that uh, the drivers give them their just due, and that's that's basically uh, what we like to do with that. Uh-huh. We have a lot of members uh, with the MPA that are also photographers there at uh, Big Diamond. Joe Kamitsky, uh, Walt Smith, a few others, uh, George uh, Steigerwalt, uh, all good guys. Mm-hmm. Ken uh- Bruce is on board with us. That's awesome. And yeah, it's it's good to see an organization like that in such a, you know, dirt racing's across the country. There's no doubt about it. There's so many different forms of it. But I look at it as, you know, the eastern side of it, especially in the modified area. There's it's so big in our area up in New York, up in the the northeast period, but it's still a small family. You know, it's still it's not maybe I'm just being naive. Maybe it is a lot bigger than I'm not thinking it is in the Northeast. But I still look at it as something that is a somewhat of a small community. It's a big, small community, but it's still small. And there's still an organization like this that is not necessarily about the drivers, about the owners, about the tracks necessarily. But it's it's dove into this small, smaller group of the press. And it touches on, you know, the media aspect of things. And that's so cool to see that. It really is. You know, Casey, one of the things we like to uh, stress to our membership is that you guys are professionals. You're out there representing not only EMPA, but you're a representative of the sport. You're a representative of the track and the way you conduct yourself is uh, a reflection on all of us so you need to remember that and we we tried to strive that we've we've had to uh, scold certain people because uh some of these guys and and we want the racetrack uh promoters and owners to know that too that when you're dealing with us when you probably see it at the back gate or or things like that Uh, some you know uh joe schmo will come up there and say hey i shoot for so and so and uh you know can you give me a media credential and uh no i've never heard that no you've never heard that and and you gotta (laughs) one of the things is uh it's 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 a privilege to be able to hold that card and know that I'm being allowed in there while everybody else here has to pay. So I have an obligation and a duty to perform. And, um, I 
Again, it, it falls back to the not being biased part, to be uh, upfront, to get all sides of the story, whether you're in the announcing booth, whether you're behind the camera, or whether you're behind the uh, pen and paper. So um, you have an obligation. The track promoters need to know that. We want them to understand as well that if uh, somebody is a member with us, that uh, they are uh, tried and true, and uh, you know they, they bring in a professional uh, image with them, and uh, it, it it just has to carry right on through. So um, it's, it's important that uh, they remember that. And it's important to us to let the uh, promoters know that uh, EMPA, uh, that's what we're all about. Oh, that's that's awesome that you guys carry. You know, there's there's class that comes with it. So how does someone get involved with EMPA? Is there uh, a membership process? Is there, you know, uh, some type of like a fraternity type thing where you have to go through trials and tribulations? How does that work? Um, we have a website, uh, where you can get a membership online there, empa.org. Um, you know what? It's just 50 bucks a year. Cause so now I'm putting my, uh, I'm putting on my, uh, EMPA hat here <laughs> and doing a little promoting on, on that end. Go but, for it. uh, the, the membership has not, the price of that membership has not gone up. I don't know what uh, I've, I've been part of it for over 20 plus years. Um, so long that, uh, you are there. And, and you could prove that you're a representative, uh, be it photographer, be it writer, be it videographer, or any other type of media uh, person. You know, we've uh, evolved over the years where it's it could be PR people and stuff that uh, are in there. If, if you're in that end of the uh, motorsports uh, world, then we welcome you to be a part of EMPA. And the big thing with us is that convention that we have. As a matter of fact, I, I was hoping to have you there uh, with us this past year. It's a three-day convention usually held. Uh, we've been at the uh, Crown Plaza at the King at King of Prussia the last, uh, oh my gosh, 10 or so years. Um, and it's, it's just an amazing time. On Friday night, uh, we have what we call our Champions Gathering. And uh, we'll invite a handful of drivers uh, from all kinds of racetracks, all kinds of series. Uh, uh, that includes Big Diamond uh, and, and everywhere else. And um, we just get up there. We'll talk. We'll let them talk and present themselves to the media. Um, and it's uh, pretty much a meet and greet. A um, lot of socializing. Saturday, we have these of the, that convention. We have uh, uh, um, press conferences that go on in the morning. So we might have a Dover there. We might have IndyCar there. NASCAR will show up for us. Uh, Pocono is always there. Um, all the smaller tracks, drivers, we get them to come in. Tell us what. Tell us here at the media at, at this point what's going on, and uh, then we're going to write about it. We're going to give uh, out that information, and a lot of times these guys are anxious to do that. So it gives them an opportunity to stand in front of the press. Uh, it could be a, a young up-and-coming driver, uh, a, a young talent. It could be a veteran, but it's always great to see these guys and to talk to them. Um, we'll try to pull in a keynote speaker, um, somebody pretty much affiliated with media. It could be a racer for that matters, but uh, uh, that's always a neat thing that we have the uh, roundtable discussions that evening uh, we have our awards ceremony and uh, that's when we give out all of the uh, neat hardware this past year uh, we have two northeast driver of the years one asphalt one uh, in dirt uh, Stuart Friesen uh, picked up his fourth uh, EMPA driver of the year award uh, Matt Hirschman got his second in a row for asphalt racing we give out a national driver of the year award um, a lot of other things and we those, those, the photo contests we have and the writer contest. Um, I'll tell you what, it's uh, 
it's exciting to see how that uh, pans out. With so these guys uh, throughout the year will enter the con- this contest. They're sponsored by a uh, select number of uh, individuals, and uh, we send them out to uh, judges. They, and they're, usually, these judges who judge the contests are not racing affiliated. So that helps, I think, because again, it's not uh, somebody who goes in there and knows this, like, okay, I know who this driver is and that driver is. So that that keeps it uh, on the even keel there. And uh, these guys are really, really proud. And there's some really amazing work that comes out of that on both the uh, writer and uh, the uh, uh, photographer side of things. Likewise, with the videographers, uh, Mike Mallett's guys, <laughs> they uh, they do some incredible work. Uh, they, they have done nicely in the last couple of years, uh, you know, putting all their uh, stuff together for that particular contest. We have a writer of the year uh award that goes out every year a photographer of the year award that goes out every year and uh one of the real uh highlight moments of that uh saturday night banquet is the uh hall of fame induction that we have and um if you go on that website you'll see uh all of the i mean it's just an incredible list of names uh that have been inducted into the hall of fame and it's not just from national drivers like your aj Foyce and your roger penske's and uh, it's so cool when they show up at this thing or give a video presentation but uh we have a, a deep rich uh, uh tradition uh, that we keep focus on the heritage of the of the of the uh short track racers that uh, basically laid the foundation for where all of us are today for all where all these drivers are today uh and uh um, that's that's really neat and we vote on that that's only done within the membership itself to who gets into the uh, hall of fame each year and uh that that's really important to us so um sunday morning we have a uh, um a, a pretty much a a general meeting uh uh breakfast that goes on indycar sponsors that uh and um do some voting and things like that and newsletters throughout the year. We keep up on all of our guys and uh, you know, we have, we like to keep uh, everybody at the forefront, but it's important. There was about three national uh, uh, media groups out there and uh, another nice thing. And I was actually been uh, honored to do this is um, NASCAR recognizes us. Uh, They've been a big supporter of us for many, many years and uh, for their hall of fame now, um, there's a panel of 50 and, uh, they take, uh, one individual from each of the national, uh, media groups, EMPA being one of them. And, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, for the first time I got to go down to Charlotte and, uh, be on the panel to uh, vote for who goes into the NASCAR hall of fame. Uh, last year we had to do it virtually, but, uh, that is almost surreal to be a part of that. And you see one uh, superstar after another, after another walking in, um, I was, at that particular event, I was sitting next to Etzel Ford, <laughs> which wow. was kind of way too cool. You know, and then Ned Jarrett comes in and sitting next to you. The King is there and uh, Humpy Wheeler and uh, all these guys from the, uh, you know, heads of state of NASCAR racing and, and everything else. So uh, that's that's what EMPA does and what we're all about. But we're all about continuing to help promote with the promoters with the pr people racing and then what racing is all about that's awesome yeah i i do think that there is one little piece of information you failed to mention and uh i did my due diligence and did you not win an award um um yes i i i have uh i've actually been um writer of the year i've I've, be honest with you i've won that twice and that that just was 
the highlight of my career, I think, uh, to be honest with you. And this past year, uh, I picked up uh, a first place writing award for work within the uh, standard speaker on uh, a girl by the name of Stephanie Moyer, who is now going to be uh, racing uh, in ARCA, but uh, ran locally. And uh, it was in the news category. So, yes, I uh, picked up a first place award uh, this year in the uh, news uh, version of uh, the several different categories. So, yes, I did. Yeah, that's what I thought. I I thought you skipped over maybe something a little significant. But I, I would say, you know, from where you started with this whole thing to sitting there and being a vote for the NASCAR Hall of Fame has got to be a uh, a come to Jesus full circle type thing. I, I absolutely um, I think you uh, can't put it any better than that. Um, I uh, I always try to remember. I don't ever, ever want to get loose grasp of where I came from, where I'm at. I, I'm I'm still loving what I'm doing on this local scene, but I realize it is so neat to be able to uh, walk through a NASCAR garage. And, you know, when these, uh, uh, you know, big guys see you and, and you can walk into a media room in, in Daytona or Bristol or somewhere else, and uh, they, they recognize who you are because of uh, what you do in the media with EMPA. And... When I'm doing that, they also know, and that's what really makes me proud that, hey, you're, you know, back home, you're Big Diamond, you're Mahoning Valley, uh, you know, and, and you're Pocono. And that that's important to me because that's where it all started. That's what that's where uh, that's where it all circles around what I do at these tracks that uh, helps me to get on parts of the national scene as well. So um, I ne- you never want to forget where you're coming from, and uh, that's really important. Can't grow the future without having a respect for the past. You're exactly right. A- and everyone started somewhere, and most of them didn't start where they currently are. So that's absolutely true. Uh, in-, in winding down this this conversation, uh, we didn't really touch a whole lot on Mahoning Valley. So Mahoning Valley is very unique in its own right just by the way it sits um you wear a lot of different hats on a saturday you do uh more than i could handle i mean and you've seen i do a lot but you do a lot at mahoning valley um i'm just curious you you went you've gone through a couple of transitions with owners you know your superiors have changed there and yet you're still there. How has it been now adjusting to how Keith Hoffman wants to run things? Um, I think, I think Keith was, um, a, a main, uh, cog to a, a main ingredient to what we needed to bring that level of, uh, of, of a better show of a good show to an even better show. Um, you know, that, that, that is just, Mahoney Valley, I think it's best described as a, a merry-go-round on steroids because it's just a little quarter-mile track, a um, lot of history, a lot of family history that goes there, which uh, is one of the things I love about short track racing is, is the generations that uh, make up our sport. And uh, Keith coming in there and bringing the element that he had over the last number of years coming from Bridgeport and doing things that way and trying to blend it into the asphalt world of things. It was a little bit of a, uh, a learning curve for a lot of us, myself included, but, uh, um, by the end of the year, 
the compliments uh, outweighed uh, the some of the uh, tougher things that uh, we had to get over. He uh, introduced the uh, Hall of Fame series, which was uh, an unqualified success. And uh, I think now going into year number two with him, um, we're more accustomed to how we want that show to move. It's it's so important, Casey, and you know that at Big Diamond, downtime is not good at a little racetrack. It it, it hurts you, and uh, and if you make that uh, almost part of your weekly show, then it, it's uh, it's going to show the following week and the following week. So uh, it, it's important get them in, get them out. Always want them coming back for more. It's a PT Barnum kind of thing, and uh, Keith has brought that. And I think it's one of the things that uh, is special to him about being there was the fact that his brother Doug was also uh, an owner and a promoter there as well, and I got to work with Doug and now I got to work with uh, Keith and uh, it's, it's kind of cool in a way, but uh, he brings a, a very cool, a very unique style uh, and uh, it, it's working. And I really think that's uh, that made a big difference last year for us. So uh, what do you guys have on deck for this upcoming season there? Well, <laughs> let's just say this. Uh, Big Diamond season opener is on April 2nd. Mahoning Valley season opener is on April 3rd. So um, pretty much from April to uh, October is like one long day for me when it comes to racing. Uh, and uh, we're bringing back what we call the Hall of Fame series. Uh, uh, the uh, um, In Allentown, there's a, there's a really neat uh, auto museum that's uh, been there for quite a while. And about 10 or so years ago, it's America on Wheels. Um, they started this Dorney Park Speedway, Mahoning Valley Speedway Hall of Fame. And um, this, this, you'd be surprised, oh, by the way, the uh, connection between Mahoning Valley, Dorney Park, and Big Diamond Speedway. Uh, I, I, can, I look over the list of names, and it's incredible. And on Saturday nights and Friday nights, it's almost like uh, I'm at either track because I see so many of our people at big diamond. It, it's just amazing. And now there's such a crossover, uh, of asphalt and dirt racers doing Friday and Saturday night. It's such a throwback, uh, to those days. Obviously it's not the same cars, but these drivers now they're coming into big diamond and next night they're racing on asphalt at that Mahoning Valley. And I, I think that's cool. And I, I, I think it's uh, neat to be able to, uh, you know, express that, that we, you see these guys, uh, do that, but, um, we're going to start, uh, Mahoning Valley with our second, uh, running of the hall of fame series. And this year it's, it's pretty cool. We got, uh, we're going to be paying honor to, uh, Bill Teal. We're going to be paying honor to Roger Heffelfinger Jr. The late Ward Crozier who, uh, himself uh, has a lot of dirt background from Nazareth Speedway, uh, Lauren Arthoffer, and another guy at the end of the year who actually has a win at Big Diamond Speedway, who oh, I think around 1976, Paul Bauscher, who ran the same car there that he also used to run on asphalt at Dorney Park and Mahoning Valley. So that those are that uh, Hall of Fame series thing has really uh, taken off nicely. Uh, it was uh, uh, on the uh, ballot uh, last year for an award with EMPA as the promotional effort uh, of the year, but uh, got beaten out by Mike Mallett and his guys, uh, you know, so, uh, but uh, great racing that goes on there. Um, it, it, it lends itself to just side-by-side -side racing because it's a circle. There's no 
there might be a straightaway, but if you can find it, good for you. And uh, you're you're constantly in traffic there. You're constantly, uh, um, you know, turning quick laps there. Modifieds at Mahoney Valley, nine, ten second laps. Uh, the TQ midgets when they come there, uh, eight. They're they're actually running just as quick laps at Mahoney Valley as they do indoors at Allentown and Trenton uh, on the concrete. Um, our street stock division there is is basically like the uh, crate class that we have at diamond so much side-by-side racing so much parity from top to bottom uh and we have a sportsman class there now that is really gaining speed uh again that's a 602 type class and we have guys there that uh i i know have run on both uh, dirt and uh, are running asphalt on a weekly basis so that's what i love about the what i get to do i'm, I'm watching guys who are running Friday night and the next night they're running on asphalt and uh, it's almost it's such a throwback but yet uh, with a modern day twist to it yeah absolutely and there are some guys I didn't realize that they ran asphalt at any point in time Chris Graver being one of them uh, I didn't until I was doing my research you know for for our discussion today I had no idea that he ran asphalt or that he was as good as he was he's one of the he's on the uh He's on the list at Mahoney Valley as one of the all-time uh, top 10 uh, feature winners there. The kid uh, actually started winning there in, in uh, big wheels when he was a kid. The Graver family uh, in general uh, it has quite a history between Mahoney Valley, Big Diamond, Grandview Speedway. Uh, the Zero One cars for many, many years uh, were the standouts, and that also goes back to Dorney Park. So what I'm not sure, I, I know some of the uh, folks who have been around for a while will know what I'm talking about, but there was such a great connection. Dorney Park, uh, Big Diamond, Dorney Park, uh, Grandview, and, and Mahoney Valley, and you could throw Evergreen into that mix too. So uh, it, it was a special time back then, but uh, Christopher Graver, his uncle Kevin Graver Jr., mm-hmm. uh, he's all one there. Uh, Don Edgar, whose son Brandon uh, was phenomenal last year. Mm-hmm. Don himself who won at uh, Big Diamond. He's uh, a past asphalt star at uh, Mahoney Valley and, and Evergreen um the, the uh, it's amazing in the uh, uh sportsman class what what you have going on there uh, uh you look down the leaves list here ryan graver who is kevin's son used to hold the track record at mahoney valley in a slingshot um eric tucker is back he's a past champion at mahoney valley um it, it's just it's it's amazing as you go down there. Bo Drobot won a race at Mahoning Valley last year. He came. He's racing now uh, with us at on, on Saturday nights. Uh, Corey Edelman. Uh, he did. A, how about that? He finished sixth in points his first year. Um, he's won a, cha- a couple of championships at Mahoning Valley. He's raced in several divisions, and uh, he has a lot of dirt experience because prior to that, he was a uh, micro sprint racer. And um, there's there's more of these guys that are making that transition uh uh it's it's just so cool to see uh you had a guy devin schmidt show up there this year and this kid races anything but uh he's uh, he's a weekly uh there uh, at big at uh, mahoning valley as well so uh, there is a lot of uh um you know connection between these two tracks yeah there's definitely a lot of crossover it's brought a whole new slew of drivers into to the dirt seen on a friday night and i mean i couldn't be more thankful for it um you know uh, you want to see new faces you want to see new talent 
you know, it's just like our schedule. You don't want it to run stagnant and stale over time. You don't want it to be the same show every week, um, week after week after week after year after year. And I think that's why it looks the way it does. And now that we have all these new faces and I you know I was I, I said this to a couple of different people, you know, there's a slew of young kids that are on their on their way up through, um, you know, we're going to have a 12 year old running open sportsman this year with us who already has won Eastern States in a yes, sportsman. He's just gaining a lot of steam right now. Uh, yeah. And a lot of attention and in a good way. Um, you know, he won down in Florida. He won in, in Delaware. He won at Middletown. Um, but there's just, there are so many drivers out there and the 602 class alone itself has become the affordable class. And now, you know, we have all these guys coming in and it's going to be a big field. It's going to be a lot of new faces and they're subjecting themselves to all those fans. And I hope that they, you know, people are pulling for them as their favorites and they're getting the attention and the recognition that they all deserve. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's going to be a good season all around everywhere, to be honest. Um, and I'm glad to know that the asphalt side of things at Mahoning is looking to be the exact same. You know, and it's not just the guys that I mentioned here. You, you do realize guys like Jeff Strunk and uh, Billy Pouch Jr., um, a couple of others, they've they've raced there as well uh, uh, in speedsters and uh, other cars. Billy Pouch, uh, he's no slouch, uh, if you will. This kid has raced uh, asphalt modifieds. I've watched him and announced him uh, running an ARCA car at, at Pocono. Uh, um, Alex Jankowski is a hell of a go-kart racer. He, he ran a lot of uh, asphalt stuff when he was coming up through down in Florida and things like that. Uh, so, you know, these, these guys, uh, it's... <laughs> I think it's almost uh, common ground now that they need to have uh, all that ability to be able to be that versatile, that they can run on uh, a variety of different surfaces, be it blacktop or be it uh, uh, on uh, the dirt. Uh, Joel Smith is another guy who's run both uh, dirt and asphalt over the years. Uh, and, you know, obviously, I think it only makes them better. Yep, absolutely. And I mean, what helps with that is. You know, pretty much you start your kids out in one of two ways, go-karts or quarter midgets. And both of those divisions run on both asphalt and dirt, which allows guys to kind of pick their own path. And, you know, everyone jokes, dirt's for racing, asphalt's for getting there. Okay, I get it. In dirt, you see a lot. The styles are completely different. That's that's the difference is cars can go sideways on one and they can on another. And there's a whole different dynamic to what you can do on asphalt that you can't do on dirt. But it it allows for a lot of crossover. I mean, Stuart Friesen's a perfect example of that now. He goes and runs the asphalt stuff for the, you know, in the trucks. And he's adapted to it. He's won on asphalt, not just at Eldora. And he still plays in the dirt. So, I mean, it, it's a... It's a huge crossover thing. Chase Elliott ran the Chili Bowl. He ran at Bubba's uh, in the midget. I mean, there's a. I think we're going to see not even just with the young and upcoming kids. I think we're going to start to see a lot of crossover um, amongst a whole slew of different uh, talents 
and levels of experience, ages. We're going to I think it's growing. I think we're going to constantly keep seeing it. And that's what's actually good about places like Big Diamond and Mahoney Valley is that I think uh, we're now to the point where these stars are realizing it's it's important for them to get out there and show that hey they they're not just a uh, a guy who gets in a cup car and races on Sunday they they still uh, they can race on a Friday and a Saturday night and get up the next day I mean we we've seen Ricky Stenhouse win at Big Diamond but I've also seen Ricky Stenhouse race an asphalt modified at Mahoning Valley uh, and he's a guy that you know, has, has that open wheel background uh, and, and he still does these kind of things. Uh, Christopher Bell, we, we all know the talent that he has. Uh, he just recently won this past weekend down at Daytona in the cup car, but man, put him in a midget. Uh, he's, he's, he's absolutely phenomenal. Let, let's not even get on Kyle Larson. Oh yeah. Uh, no. So here's these guys. They want to get out there. They, they want to be, uh, you know, they just can't sit there and, and race the way they do uh, in the big series. It, it's And that's where places like Big Diamond and, and Mahoney Valley on these cup weekends, you just don't know at this stage of the game um, who's going to show up. You know, um, Brian ahead. Priest is an, I, he, he's a, a great modified racer, and he's shown him his talent quite nicely in the cup side. I was just going to say his name. I mean, did he not just go to New Smyrna, start at the rear and win? I was actually at that race covering it for area auto racing news. And it was just phenomenal. It was him going up against Matt Hirschman, two of the very best in the business. And let me just say that the, the first time Ryan priest ran a, a modified was at Mahoney Valley speedway. And, uh, his first, one of his first asphalt wins was in a TQ in 2004 at Mahoney Valley speedway. So that's neat to know that, uh, here's where these guys came up from, but yeah, he started uh, 35th in that race. <laughs> And, you know, it, it, it came to a point where you knew something special was going on here. And, you know, a lot of eyes in, in the asphalt world always focus on Matt Hirschman and for good reason, uh, because he is that good right now. He is probably the uh, Richie Evans of our time. Uh, I think that's a safe uh, bet to say that. And uh, it came down to those two guys overcoming some amazing obstacles from accident to accident to big crashes and yet there they were at the very end uh battling for the uh the lead and the win and uh i that was just something to be said for to be there at a race like that to watch a guy come from dead last in a field of no less than almost 40 cars mind you and uh matt hirschman who almost got clobbered out of the uh race not once not twice but almost three times and to still battle back uh, to see these guys what they can do on asphalt it, it was pretty cool yeah, that that's it's definitely for sure. I mean, all these cup guys, especially, they all came from somewhere. And uh, I mean, it, it's just the nature of the beast. They're all coming to in their in their own now and being successful, uh, whether it's, you know, guys winning at a young age or waiting till they're older. Um, but it, it's a good thing to see that they still haven't forgotten where they came from. And, you know, now we're just going through the next generation of guys, too. Um, there's definitely some modified guys that are out there, young guys out there who I don't think they're at their last stop of their career. I think this is just a stepping stone on their way up to, to better things over time. And, you know, it's going to be exciting to be, you know, hey, I got to see that kid, you know, win features across the Northeast and uh, 
you know, it's one of those full circle moments like we talked about where it's just kind of cool to see, you know, it's good. I love knowing that I know Stu and to see him succeed in a truck. It's kind of a cool thing. Like, oh, I, I know that guy. Like, that's pretty cool. But, yeah. uh, you know, that's what we're going to see over the years to come. Yeah. And on the other side of that coin, you know, th- there is still that only select number of special rides in that upper tier of the racing world the nascars the indy cars uh, of the world you only got that dozen or so rides so even though that might be a young kid's goal that's where you want to be and don't ever give up on that but don't give up on the fact that you still have a the local facilities like your big diamonds like your mahoning valleys stick with that because you can become just as big a star, and we've seen it over the years. You're look at this. You're Dwayne Howard. You're Strongs. You're Hoffman's. Uh, all these guys, Fred Raymer. Uh, just uh, where did they go? They stayed what they did best, even though the opportunities may have been there. And if they're not, you can still make something of yourself and become uh, a, a star uh, because you guys are the stars of the future, and we need these kids to continue on in. in keeping us doing what we do. Well, and a perfect example of that is uh, the news just broke today. Uh, Triple Crown USAC champion Chris Windham has now got himself a ride for the NASCAR race at Bristol on the dirt. That's surprising how many guys are going to be. It's almost like they had the road racer, road racing ringers come in and do the same thing. Yeah, but, you know, we watched the trucks at Eldora a couple of years in a row where, yeah, I... It helps to have the dirt experience, but, you know, they pretty much run the fence and it is what it is. But it's good to see someone like himself get that opportunity, get that chance. And you know what? You never know what may happen. It, it could be Mike Marlar, who runs super, you know, super late models. He ran a truck out at Eldora and didn't necessarily go his way. Um, and I think he may have been in a couple of times since then, but not a whole lot. And now Wyndham had his chance in the biggest series to show what he's got and who knows how it's going to go. I, I hope, I hope he succeeds for all intent purposes, but, um, it's just good to see guys get that opportunity. That's the whole yeah. key. You know, what's another neat thing about that is that those are the kids, those guys, uh, if they're regulars out there particular speedway then you know that you're, you're bringing all of those fans with you as well that's they're they're out there they're rooting for you uh and and they have to remember that you know i'm i'm here because of big diamond i'm here because of this track or that track and um you know we're, we're proud of those kind of things when when doug hoffman uh won at syracuse the biggest modified race going you know here's a guy that started at dorney park speedway in a late model and went on to win the biggest uh, race there is in modified racing but yet he always remembered where he came from and uh his 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 uh Dorney Park Championship late model trophy is still sitting in the shop at uh, at Keith's at Hoffman Brothers right next to the uh, Syracuse trophy. That's how important that is to them guys, what that meant, where they came from, where they w- got to, uh, and, and how it all comes full circle. That's that's really cool. That, that's awesome to know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, great conversation for sure. Uh, we're going to have a hell of a season this year. You're going to enjoy that twice over 
Fridays and Saturdays. And uh, I hope all goes well with Pocono this year. Um, maybe we'll see fans. Maybe we won't. But uh, I wish you the best of luck this year. And I will definitely be seeing you on Friday nights. Casey, I appreciate everything you guys have done to uh, welcome me there. Uh, I'd be remiss if we don't give a big shout out to the boys and the guys and gals over at the Dog Pound because uh, they are uh, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and uh, I'm just enjoying myself there. And uh, I'm really, really looking forward to uh, year number two of being the Friday Night Voice at uh, Big Diamond Speedway. For sure, man. And uh, yes, give a shout out definitely to uh, Diamond Dog and the rest of the dog pound for sure. But uh, that about wraps up our conversation tonight. And uh, I will see you April 2nd. Sounds like a plan. All right, Dino. Take care, my friend. Thank you. Peace and out.